1: Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today we're talking with David Coulter. For many, the LGBT community in Metro Detroit is centered in Ferndale, Michigan. It's been the home of Affirmation's Lesbian and Gay Community Center since 1989. For many years, the city was the home of Motor City Pride before it moved to downtown Detroit in 2011, and it continues to host Ferndale Pride each June. The city, located just north of Detroit, is recognized for its diversity and inclusion, cozy neighborhoods, and burgeoning business district. At the helm of fabulous Ferndale is today's guest, Mayor Dave Coulter. Raised on the east side of the Metro Detroit area, Dave broke with tradition and moved west, settling in Ferndale. He was elected to the Oakland County Commission and served four terms on the commission from 2002 to 2010. Coulter was appointed mayor of Ferndale in January of 2011 after his predecessor resigned. He was then elected to the two-year position in November of 2011. He was re-elected in 2013 and 2015. He is Ferndale's second openly gay mayor. Coulter has worked as a civil engineer, draftsman, and school teacher. He served as the executive director of the Michigan AIDS Fund and as a program officer for the Children's Hospital of Michigan Foundation. Like many communities in Michigan, Ferndale's mayor only works part-time and shares executive roles with the city manager. Besides being Ferndale's mayor, a politician, an openly gay man, Coulter is an activist concerned with the rights and issues affecting all not just in Ferndale, but across the state and the country. In 2013, along with Congressman Sandra Levin, Coulter undertook a challenge in which they spent less than $4.50 a day on food. They did so to protest cuts to food stamps. In 2014, he became the first mayor in Michigan to perform same-sex marriages. Coulter believes... You can be a progressive city that's also focused on the bottom line. That's Ferndale normal. Dave, I know. You might only work part time, but being mayor of Ferndale is a full time job for you. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you.
2: Michelle, it is my pleasure to be here and to be talking with you, my good friend.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's just so you know, it's like yeah, you know, I always say, That's my favorite mayor but you know, but I have a number of mayors, but you're my favorite mayor because you're also a friend. And I've watched you, you know, you know, as you you've taken on this role and it's like not only that you're a gay man, but you're a leader and what I've seen happening there. And looking at things I also noticed that, you know, we're both old Catholic school kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes we are
2: and I, I, I mm. think there's something I think there's something about that that we identify with in each other but more but more importantly I think what I am always resonate so well with you is that you know I've reached a point in my life where I just don't have a lot of uh, patience and time for negativity and complainers and you can imagine that in my line of work you know I hear a fair share of that but when I when I I uh, have the good fortune of being around people who are genuinely positive. Uh, it, it, I am attracted to them and I resonate with them, And which is not to say that they ignore the realities, but just people that come from a healthy place uh, in, in their attitudes uh, are, are more and more important to me as I get older, and uh, I've always seen that in you and appreciated that.
1: Well, thank you. You know, one of the things that I like, too, is like, you know, and I knew your predecessor, Craig Covey, and you know, and Craig was, you know, the first LGBT, you know, the first gay mayor of Ferndale. But yeah. when you came in, you know, and I know that many people often were like, you know, that was like it. the mayor gay. You are the mayor of Ferndale. I mean, and there's things that I've seen and I've sort of observed where that really pulling it together as a community, that, that sort of sense of community where it's like, I don't go and like to hang out in Ferndale because of its uh, municipality equality index. I go and like to hang out in Ferndale because it's a great place. You know, what, well, in, with, in, and you'd help, help, I mean, what was your vision when you got in this?
0: Um.
2: You know, I I think, um, to your point, I I may be a gay man, and it's certainly part of my identity and a proud part of my identity, but I always understood that in my role as an elected official, uh, I've been elected to represent all of the people and not just the the people that share certain identities with me. And so I've just always been really conscious uh, to make sure that – that I'm representing Ferndale in a way and leading Ferndale in a way that all people feel comfortable and welcome and not excluded in any sort of way. And so it it is a conscious decision of mine um, that's that's always in my mind to, to just be asking especially for people that are different than me, because it's, you know, I, I, I get what what I think and people like me think, but I'm always trying to push myself to say, how can we be more inviting and welcoming and inclusive to people that don't think like me? And, and part of that is simply asking people um, when they, you know, when they don't feel comfortable and how you, they could be more comfortable. But so I, I've always
1: tried to take that approach,
2: um, you know, in either county commissioner or as mayor, and it's it's just part of how I lead.
1: Well, you know, the other thing that we share in common, we were both originally east-siders. You know, like you start on yeah. St. Clair Shores, I was on the East Side, you know, and we have that. And to go from that whole east side and now here you're like right in the core of Woodward Quarter, really going from downtown all the way out to Pontiac. You've got like you have the the car shows, all of this stuff is going on. It's sort of it really is where on the east side, you know, by the lake, by the river what has that felt like? I mean, what did you what brought you to Ferndale and to that area?
2: You know, in some ways it's very different and in some ways it's similar. I grew up just a few blocks from 8 Mile Road in Saint Clair Shores. Mm-hmm. I still live a few miles from 8 Mile Road in Ferndale. And in in some ways it's very similar. So you're an East Sider, so you'll remember um, this and and you don 't have to remember it because unfortunately it 's still sort of like this when you 're going down Jefferson Avenue and you cross altar it 's mm-hmm. like you it 's like you 're driving into another world um, either way you drive're you're, you're, you clearly know that you have passed a street uh, where the community has dramatically changed. We live in one of the most segregated uh communities in the country, racially and economically um and uh so unfortunately, that is you know being along Eight Mile Road that that is similar. Our communities are very different, but I think growing up with that experience, and even as a little boy, remembering why is this? Well, you know what, what it was. It was dramatic and it was wrong to me uh, to, to 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 see that, and I still question that, and I and I still challenge that. So you mentioned Woodward. Woodward is um, in my community. Goes so right through. Ferndale. It's sort of the great leveler. It brings people from downtown Detroit all the way to Pontiac. And we've really tried to encourage um, uh, development along Woodward that's inclusive of all the communities in Woodward um, and to use it as something that unites us and not divides us. Because barriers like 8 Mile are, are silly in some ways in that our problems don't end at a certain streak um, and the challenges that we all face don't end. So breaking down those artificial barriers, and Woodward sort of does that uh, in a way, and we've tried to encourage that, um, is, is important.
1: You know, about five years ago I had a friend here who was from South America, and we were driving in Woodward, and I was telling all this history of Woodward. And it, it makes me think about 8 Mile, because when we got to that bridge that takes you over 8 Mile from Ferndale to that, we went from Ferndale, and when we got to the top and we looked down into Detroit, half the streetlights were on. And she was mm. like, how can this be? And, you yeah. know, and so we were talking about it. But here you're in a suburb that, that's right up against that. Yep. How do you How do you? Break down that that barrier so that eight mile isn't that you know big a deal, and you know because we still have people who go like oh, you know I'm not I don't want to cross eight mile but you know
2: yeah and I I also grew up in a time and I I know you did too when uh, when I was in St Clair Shores when politicians would use that divide. Uh, in really ugly ways, in their campaigns um and it was a, it was very divisive, and it was very us versus them and like I said, even as a young boy growing up uh I knew that was wrong, I knew there was something just fundamentally wrong about that, even if I couldn't express what and I think that has just stayed with me um and it's hard to i guess describe where that comes from, except that i I knew then and I know now you know that we're we're all the same underneath our identities and our sex and our orientations and our ethnicities. uh, There's something common about all of us. Uh, And I think I I was fortunate to be able to sort of recognize that as a, at a young age and have always just questioned and challenged um, barriers that kept us from seeing that authentic uh, similarity in each other.
1: Now, you know, politics, I mean, You've always, you're have you an out gay man, but politics really puts a spotlight on it. As you started to get involved in politics, did you find that people wanted to put you in that gay box? And how did you say, yes, okay, this is part of my identity, but like what you said, you are the mayor of everyone. So how did you really like shake up that box and help people to, to see Dave and what he's bringing and his concerns and his passion?
2: Uh, um, that's a great question because there was a time I've been involved in politics since I was in high school. I, it's always been a passion of mine. But um, for most of my young adult life, I never imagined that I would be able to be a candidate myself because I was gay. I grew up in a time when openly gay people did not get elected to office. So, so it was sort of a, a, a realization to me uh, that, that I could actually do this um, and, and be an out candidate um, was a huge learning for me and, and, and I so appreciate it. And I do appreciate uh, those officials, those out officials who came before me. Harvey Milk is a big role model of mine and you mentioned Craig Covey and Rudy Shera and other people here locally that did it before I did. And that was really helpful. And in some ways, it allowed me not to be the first person, which I'm, I'm more comfortable with. Uh, I didn't, um i didn 't get involved in politics um for LGBT issues, like some of the original um sort of pioneers did. They were activists in the movement, and that 's what drove them to politics for me, The issues were broader than that it was issues of equality, but it was issues uh, issues of environmentalism and um and income inequality and you know and the class structure that i see and uh and the, you know the fairness to working people and 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 women and and choice and things like that a whole broad uh array of issues that were important to me so i i guess to answer your question i never put myself or let people put me in that lgbt box because my interests were much broader than that but yeah um, when, you're, when you are when you are an openly gay candidate and then an elected official, people in the community do want to put you in that box. And I get it. I, I don't resent it. There's so few of us <laughs> that when we get somebody in there, we want them to represent us. So I get that. Um, but as I said, I always understood I had a broader role and I've always had broader interest in that as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, did you think, I mean, you know, you got into this, like you said, you've always liked politics. I remember mm-hmm. last year, we're at this thing with, you know, Bill Clinton. I mean, did you ever see yourself like being at that level, like you're going to be, you know, rubbing shoulders with these people, talking to them, being a part of that, that process?
2: Um. Yes. <laughs> because I really? I mean...
1: Always, I mean mm-hmm.
2: Yes, because I, I think that you have to imagine and, and visualize uh what you want for yourself in order to help manifest it in your life. And so being among and I don't mean Bill Clinton or the president or that sort of thing. I'm I'm not being arrogant about that, but mm-hmm. being in it being in situations where I was with other uh political people um, and policy people, and, and people who were passionate about the same kinds of things that I was, and were much more successful than me. Yeah, that's a, that's sort of exactly the situation I wanted okay. to put myself in, so that I could learn from them and study them and and see see just exactly how they did it. Um, and so, uh, yes, not in, in not in an arrogant way, but yeah, I do, I have visualized myself um, in this role, and it's I've been very fortunate
1: yeah and I know it's like I know sometimes like if i when I find myself in a room, I'm going kind of like, Wow, you know, who would have thought you know and and but but you know to be there and to recognize you're in that space and that you bring something to talk about because being from Southeast Michigan, you know to bring all the the good things and the challenging things to attention, you have that voice now I know that in two thousand thirteen. You went on, and you said you were going. You and uh, Sandra Levin at that time, who was congressman, um, you yeah. were trying to to spend less than four dollars and fifty cents a day on food. And many people, you know, if you stop and think about how much we spend, particularly you know through the drive-through, four dollars and fifty cents a day. How difficult was it, and what did that bring to mind?
2: it was It was very difficult, Michelle, as you can imagine, as you said you could you could spend easily more than that in one trip through the drive through and yet that is what uh, at the time that 's what the average person that collected uh, food stamps or bridge card was getting in the United States, and there were people that thought that was too much. There were Republicans in Congress that wanted to cut that amount, and that there are certain you know bright red lines for me that that can't be crossed and and um you know fighting for food for you know hungry people, especially when they're only at that level in the first place, was you know just a bridge too far for me but 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 what was um interesting about that is you know you can you can think about these issues intellectually. You can say that's not right, that's not fair, and how much does the average person need and all that stuff. but sometimes it's it's more impactful if you can have an experience of it. Um, and I, I'm really fortunate that Congressman Levin was willing to go along with me on this crazy idea, um, both so that we could have our own personal experience of what this is really like, and then also to use more his celebrity than mine, to help bring attention to the issue. Um, it was incredibly hard. We did it for a month. We went grocery shopping together and bought our food, and it was amazing <laughs> how little how little food you could buy. And, you know, you're buying uh-huh. the cheapest brands and not the healthiest. One of the lessons I learned uh, that was so dramatic is that you're – when you're only spending that much money, you're not getting the healthy options. Uh, Healthy fresh fruits and vegetables do not fit in your budget. So you're eating a lot of canned stuff and boxed stuff. Uh, And it's um, not only at the end of the month was I really, really hungry for other food, (laughs) but but I I, I didn't feel as well. I didn't feel as healthy um, because I didn't get those kinds of fresh foods in my diet. So that was was an amazing experience for both of us, I think.
1: Now, you know, people, I mean, and, and what I thought was, was to me really made, a, made me think a lot about what I thought was impressive about it is like many people, when you think of food stamps, at, especially where we are, they would say, oh, well, that's the other side of eight miles problem. But the reality is yeah. that we have people across the state, across the country who rely on assistance food stamps yes. you know to eat and like you said 450 a day isn't really eating good and we know that if you're not eating healthy at least other health care problems and translate that into and then talk to not only your peers and even maybe some of the residents of Ferndale to say no you know you might be okay but for all you know you might have a neighbor who's doing this and that we need to raise our awareness and our consciousness of what it means to not have to have to not have adequate food
2: yeah, um, you know one of the challenges of um, people who have certain stereotypes or prejudices is they don 't always know that they have them, and so I was able to have conversations with many people who brought up some of the stereotypes. That, that you brought up of who the average person is on a, on food stamps, or the the one that came up all the time is well they're spending it on pop and chips and and you know things that they shouldn't. They should be forced to buy just certain items, um, and so to be able to engage those folks in conversation from a, from a personal experience and say let me let me tell you from a personal experience what you're able to do with four fifty a day and who's <laughs> on these and you know and, and and you know the more I looked into it. Uh, the more I learned, uh, you know, to your point, uh, the majority of people in poverty in this country um, are white folks uh, that tend to live in more rural areas without access to healthy foods and medical attention and and those sort of things. In Michigan, some of the poorest counties in the state and some of the highest users percentage-wise of assistance like food stamps are up north, um, you know, Mm -hmm. in some of these rural counties. And so just to... uh, it is an opportunity and an invitation to have those conversations with people, people who, um, you know, may not may not have known. You know, some people's stereotypes are are not they're not always mean spirited. It's just ignorance, and you know, when mm-hmm. you can help give people the facts. Uh, sometimes you can change their minds. Not everybody, but yeah, that was that was um, uh, for me. Um, a satisfying part of the experiment is, is sort of having those kinds of conversations with people who uh, had some pretty stereotypical views of what it's like to be on food
1: stamps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do you get over on the east side often and do, when you go to visit friends, family outside of Ferndale, um, what is their perception of Ferndale? Because, you know, Ferndale is sort of, I guess you would call it an, older suburb and you mm-hmm. know i mean because many people go like oh royal oak west bloomfield you know those are you know the happening places but ferndale is like not only is it steady and been there i think it's pretty vibrant do you do you find that people you know go like ferndale okay well well we pass through to go to royal oak and do you have to sell yeah. ferndale or tell them about ferndale that's that's
2: a really good question you know i went to my high school reunion a few years ago and as you, and I think you probably know this, Michelle, being from the east side, east siders don't move west. I
1: they know. May,
2: they, they may move north. You know, if you lived on the east side and you were in the east side of Detroit or Harper Woods or St. Clair Shores, you might move up there, Clinton Township or Harrison Township, but uh, they kind of think the world ends at Van Dyke, I think. Um, and so <laughs> I had so many people at my reunion just saying, how did you get over there? So many of these folks still live on the east side, or like I said, maybe a little further north. And so there was a puzzlement of just how I got west of Van Dyke in the first place, let alone Ferndale. Um, but I think that's just a, a product of Detroit. We're, either Detroit. we're either east or west siders, and, and the two don't mix very often. Ferndale, I don't think, is in either one. It's not really east or west side. Um, and yes, when I first moved to Ferndale, which was about 25 years ago now, it was not like it is now. Um, the downtown was mostly vacant. It was, you know, not particularly attractive. Or, um, you know, we have a parking problem now, but we didn't have one then. You could park wherever mm-hmm. you want because it wasn't a whole lot to do. And yet, I still loved the community. I loved the people. Uh, And I loved the neighborhoods and I stayed here for 25 years. So yes, um, there was a time when you had to sort of explain to people why you were in this older inner ring suburb uh, when you could be in some place more happening. But um, that has changed dramatically. I think that, and I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but Ferndale's reputation in the metro area now is sort of established. um, and and has changed quite a bit, even in the last few years. So now, when I say Ferndale, you know, usually people go, "Oh, wow, Ferndale! I love Ferndale!" And you know, I, my my daughter lives in Ferndale. A lot of parents tell me that their children live here because uh, this is a place where millennials and younger people, younger people starting families and whatnot, um, find attractive. So. Now I, I mostly get pats on the back and say, That's a great town and you've done a great job and I you know, I didn't start the turnaround. I've just mm-hmm. been here for seven years as mayor, but uh, uh, I appreciate that. So we have a we have a pretty good reputation now in the community and the challenge of course uh is to is to keep that, um because there's lots of other great areas and there's parts of Detroit now that are are just booming almost like Ferndale was ten years ago. Some areas of, you know, Corktown and Midtown and some of those areas remind me of Ferndale 10 years ago Uh, and so our constant challenge is just to make sure that we can uh, continue to be successful um, and and attractive to people
1: Okay, well we're going to take our first break here and we'll be right back with our conversation with Mayor Dave Coulter of Ferndale, Michigan You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. We'll be right back we're back here with more of our conversation with Mayor Dave Coulter of Ferndale, Michigan. You know, I love the bike lane. I mean, I see a lot of things. And I'll tell you, um, oh, maybe I'd say 10 years ago, I had talked to people. I said, you know, Ferndale, I'm kind of looking at Ferndale. And it might have been more than 10 years ago. And they were like, well, you know, some parts are okay, but I don't know. I couldn't get like a rousing, like, you know, hey, move to Ferndale. And it's a lot like what you're talking about now. People are are talking about Ferndale, and they go like, "Wow, look at this, look at that." You know, all of these. You know, we're doing this and that and the other thing. And I remember, you know, I was on the board of affirmations when they decided to new the bu- new building, and it was what was that building? Hmm. Oh, it was a, the old building, yeah. Yeah, it was a. Yeah. You know. They bought this place and they were going to do it. And I know that there were some people like, you know, first of all, you're going to do a building and slap on it that it's the LGBT center and it's right there in the center of town, but it happened. And I think Uh it lends a lot to the diversity and inclusion that's, that's developed in time with Ferndale. I mean, from being like that core thing to here it was, this big building and you know, I often uh, compare it to the HRC building, that there's something about having that bricks, mortar, that foundation, that place that sort of says, you know, if you had any doubt, we're, we're here. And I know that it hasn't been, you know, it's not always easy, you know, to be that, make that commitment to diversity and inclusion. But I also noticed that when Motor City Pride moved out of Ferndale, There was Ferndale Pride, and it has continued, and it has taken on a totally different – I mean, it just seems when you're walking through it, it's like you just sort of feel welcomed by all the businesses. What was the conversation, you know, when Motor City Pride was moving from there that that you heard, like, from businesses? How are are businesses, like, embrace of, or how do they feel about also having that identity of being in this city that clearly, without a doubt, you know, there are gay people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, I think our business owners, many of the business owners were really disappointed, as a lot of us were, uh, when Motor City Pride decided to leave Ferndale. Um, because uh, for most of our business, uh, business owners, if they, if they had any – Fear or trepidation of having gay clientele—it's it's long since been you know abated. They understand, from an economic perspective uh, as well as a social perspective, you know the the benefit of having a diverse clientele. Um, it's kind of funny because as men, as big of a LGBT population as we have here, we we really just have one um, gay bar. But it's partly because. M- all of our establishments are just sort of, um, you know, welcoming uh, and inclusive of all, and so you'll find all kinds of people in all of them. And so mm-hmm. um, uh, that's been interesting. But they were they were very disappointed, and that's why a, a, a group of folks decided that they wanted to try to create something in Ferndale, um, maybe not the full Pride event that's, that that moved down into Detroit, um, but but something, and. and the um, the example that a lot of folks were talking about at that time is if you go to Chicago, there's Chicago Pride, which is huge and fun, but mm-hmm. there's also Market Days. And so this was, you know, the idea was for this to be more like the Market Days. This was going to be something that was a little smaller and intimate, um, but had its own vibe and had its own kind of feeling. Um, and... The point about that is, and you started talking about bike lanes and, and a couple of other things, but with, and, and, and the inclusive city and affirmations, with all of these things, I think it's important for folks to remember that they don't just happen by accident. You have to do these things very intentionally. Um, we've adopted a complete streets philosophy in Ferndale that says that we want our streets to be safe and friendly for pedestrians, bicyclists, cars, buses, and maybe even someday mass transit. It's, it's a very intentional thing to do. Um, we have, we passed the human rights ordinance that was very clear that this is gonna be um, a safe and inclusive community for all people, including LGBT people. Um, and so, and then when, when you got to pride, it was it was a very clear intention that we're gonna create not another pride, but this other kind of event that folks here want. So. So we've been um, very intentional about 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 how we approach these things um, because one thing I've learned in office is, is you know if you if you don't if if you're not specific if you don't visualize exactly what it is that you're planning for something else will arise someone else will take it in a different direction and so in all of those ways uh, we've tried to. Um, articulate a very clear message to people about what we're trying to do. And I think that helps get people on board and helps let them understand where you're headed and why you're doing that.
1: Well, you know, I remember seeing you um, around immigration. I mean, you know, about being welcoming. You talked about, mm-hmm. I mean, and like you said, it's like intentional. And it, it it's not that, you know, it's like, that bigger leap to talk about, like, this is, this is who you are. This is how we're talking about being inclusive and diverse. And and on other areas, too, like you said, like with the bike lane, so that you're thinking about, you know, something other than just, you know, yeah, we're the Motor City, and maybe, you know, but bikes, and that it's safe, and that's how some people opt to get around, you know. Um, so yeah. how do you balance? You know, I know. Okay, first of all, I know that it's a, although it's a part-time position, (laughs) but you're there all the time. But in the conversations, as you look at the development of Ferndale, how do you balance keeping that community feel that it has? Because, like I said, when I go to Ferndale Park, there's something that I always make it. It's like you see friends, you see neighbors, you see business owners who you've been, you know. Visiting all along, it just sort of feels like a real community. How do you balance that with, you know, I mean, people wanting to do bigger, better, you know, more parking, all this. How do you balance that and bring people back to this is our community?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question and a great challenge. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, we are a small city. I mean, we're a small town. Uh, we're a close-knit community. People know each other here, um, and so even though we're a city in the middle of a huge metropolitan area, there's a lot about Ferndale that's very small town-like, and it's and it's um, uh, it's our goal to try to to keep that uh, feel, and yet knowing that you know we're growing too. We have developers who want to um, build new things here, and and there's a lot of growth happening, but we again, are trying to be very intentional about how do we maintain our unique sense of who we are. Um, and there's no there's no one answer to that. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do is to make sure that I'm spending as much time as mayor thinking about our neighborhoods and our parks uh, as as we do about our downtown. Our town gets lots of attention and for good reasons that's why a lot of people come to Ferndale but the reason that people stay in Ferndale and want to be here and feel comfortable here is because um, these are just friendly safe uh, inviting neighborhoods with parks that have things to do in them and um, places where you're you know welcoming neighborhoods um, and that's that's the secret to Ferndale that was the secret to Ferndale before. Uh, the downtown was redeveloped uh when i moved here i knew that there was something special in the character of this place that um that was welcoming and accepting and and diverse uh and that's been the secret ingredient all along and and that's what we're committed to which is why we did do things like the welcoming cities ordinance uh, to make sure that um, that immigrants and, and people of other nationalities understand that you're just as welcome and safe here uh, as anybody else, including the people who live here.
1: How important did you feel that it was, because I know that you were in Hamtramck, um, with, uh, to stand in solidarity with, with our Muslim brothers and sisters. How important did you feel that, you know, that you were also not just in Ferndale, I mean, because you're doing your job, but that you show up? At these places, yes. I, you know, I I
2: think it's for, for me. The, these battles are uh, they might be for different groups, but it's the same struggle. It's the struggle for equality and, and to be treated with dignity and fairness and respect. And. And so the the struggles that, you know, I've experienced as a gay man or that women experience or the people of color or Muslim brothers and sisters down in, in Hamtramck, um, when you were down there, you really got a sense of their appreciation uh, for you being there, but also just that sort of shared humanity that I talked about that... Um, that that you might you might practice a different religion or look different than me, but at the end of the day, we want the same thing. Um, and uh, it, it, those those marches have been powerful. It's been really difficult uh, since the election for a lot of people to get their head around what that means. And are we no longer a country that values each other uh, and respects? each other and the diversity in this community? Is this really, are we really going to move this in a direction uh, that that simply favors uh, Christians, white men, which is a fear of a lot of people? So I think there's something really powerful um, in people coming together and expressing their humanity in that sort of way, um, if nothing else, than to just give us the strength to continue uh, the struggles and the fights that, that we've all been involved in for a lot of a lot of years.
1: You know, often I mean and I think that that another thing that that you do often uh, people have criticized um the LGBT community and said, you know, okay, well, you want us to all be in all in on your issues, but you're not all in on ours. And not only as an individual, but in your position, you have ha- you have said, you know, I'm all in, like you said, I'm all in on on the Muslim issue, I'm all in on environment, I'm all in on all of that. Mm -hmm. But um, do you find, how do you then talk when you're talking to some of our members of our community, some of our organizations who still haven't quite got that? How do you, how do we talk to them? How do we sort of, you know, to me, that's such a great strength and a power and almost a challenge like, you know, having dealt with all that, to be in that leadership and to do that. How do you do? You go back then when you talk to members of our community and say, hey, you know, you, you need to be here in Hamtramck, too, or you need to have a voice in it's because, really, it does affect all of us?
2: Well, that's right, and if you look at, you know, really all of the great – um, civil and equal rights movements, they've all relied on allies and supportive people. Um, the women's suffragette movement required, um, open minded men. Um, the civil rights, um, movement, um, was benefited by, uh, white people that joined that movement. And the same for us. Our, you know, the, the, the fight for full equality has, has will only be the result. Of our allies and friends joining us and supporting us, and so we have a responsibility. If that's tr- if you believe that's true, and I do believe that's true, then we have a responsibility to show up for them. Um, I don't I don't know um, how we make that uh, more evident and clear um, to, to folks in leadership in the LGBT community. Um, Part of it, I think, is, although we're getting better, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about any specific organizations, but mm-hmm. just in general, um, the, the LGBT movement in historical perspectives is relatively short, and our political, um, our political um, experience is relatively immature. I think we're still developing our political uh, muscle. If you will, uh, because part of what smart political movements do is that they join with their allies, and so to the extent that we figure that out and we continue to build those bridges, we'll get stronger um, but but in in the in the context of history, this has been a pretty short um, span of time that we've seen the progress uh, that we've seen for LGBT people, and uh, I, I think we're still maturing um as a as a movement and as a community to to figure out our place,
1: well you know I like that too I, you know one of the things that you talk about is you know, and one of the things that you see you see right now there's been a lot of like well, you know we have to have our jobs and we have to do this, and we're struggling and doing that. but one of the things that you have talked about is to how to deliver outstanding service at less cost? So it's not like you know, oh well, this part will have more, that part will have to do it. Sort of like a better distribution of wealth and services. And mm-hmm. I know that you've gotten pushback, you know, you know yeah. those those pesky meters, but you know, ah. but you know, yeah, but. I've seen, like, from the beginning when those meters first went in, that it was like that listening process. Okay, all right, we're going to make this better. We're going to make this better. We're going to make this better. And like you said, at one point, parking wasn't a problem. You know, you could park anywhere, or now it is a problem. But you see people working, you see city government working more at at making outstanding service at less cost. How does your role fit in? You know, like I know that you have a city manager, right? And you, how mm-hmm. does that? How's what's the interplay uh, uh, with you? You know, like who has the who has the final? I mean, who has the decision? Is it something that you work together jointly? Do you, you know who get and who gets more of a community's ear? Do they call you first, or do they call them?
2: Uh, that's a great question. So yeah, because communities like Ferndale, really all of the most of the cities in Michigan, other than the very largest ones like Detroit and Grand Rapids and Lansing, have part-time council and mayors and a full-time Uh, city manager who really runs the operations, the day-to-day operations of the community. So it really kind of depends on the issue. If you have a problem with your trash didn't get picked up and you want to know what the heck happened or there's a pothole on your road, it's probably going to get solved quicker if you call the city manager's office because those are very operation-specific issues. Um, But in terms of Setting the tone and the strategy and the direction for the community, those things come from council, um, and so so your city managers aren't the ones creating welcoming city policies or complete streets philosophies. Those kinds of strategic direction come from um, from the council, and that's our responsibility to provide. Um, having said that, I, I you know I love those those issues like potholes and garbage and those sort of things because <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, what I really love about this job and, and really being in public service is it, um, this is a, a problem-solving job. There's, a, there's a, any number of, of quote-unquote problems out there that need attention. And so this is a job where you get to be a problem solver, where you get to look at an issue and say, how can we make this better for people? I think that's why they elected me, to try to make problems better. And so... Uh, That's that's one of the things I love about this job, and the philosophy that I always bring to it is I don't have all the answers, so I'm always trying to be inclusive and bringing people that are smarter than me on these issues together to say, how can we hammer out something that will work for everybody? Somebody said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, and Mm I'm 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 in the right room because I'm not I I on all of these issues whether it be parking or whether it be the streets or our parks or all the things that I've worked hard on um, I try to bring together uh, the smartest people I can find and 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 different kinds of opinions and that's why inclusion inclusion and and diversity is so important uh, to bring different voices into that so that you can hear from all the different experiences and hopefully make better decisions that way.
1: Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's it's funny because often I hear people and they'll talk about, you know, I've been, you know, in other cities and talk about in big cities, the ones and they're like professional politicians. But do you find like, okay, you're a politician, but you're all and you're in government, but you're also like, like your neighbor, you know, you got other things that you have to do, you have to go to. So, so that it's like, at some point, you put on both hats, it's sort of like, you know, yeah, you know. These taxes are getting me, but and yeah, there's a pothole at the end of my street. Oh, I guess I need to go talk to myself about it, you know? So, <laughs> you know. Do you find that, and in talking to other mayors, do you find that, that, that having it where it isn't like you're the, you're the sole person, it's not like, you know, you are a, you're, you're not doing it 24-7, although you're doing it in your heart 24-7. Do you find right. that, that that helps keep, keep a perspective? that's maybe better than a big city mayor. You know, I don't I
2: don't know if it's even so much about the size of the city. But what I what I observed early on in politics before I was ever elected is that some people that get into politics um they fall into a a, a very dangerous trap of starting to identify their personality with the job that they hold. So suddenly they 're not just the mayor who's who's responsible for doing these things for people, but th- their their identity becomes i 'm the mayor right and they and they take this on, mm-hmm. and I think that 's a very dangerous place to go uh, because at the end of the day, this is a job with a responsibility to the people who elected you um, but it 's not who you are it, you know it, it 's not I, David Coulter is, is the mayor, but being the mayor is not part of my um, personal identity. And that's not easy to do because in politics uh, people are always being nice to you and people, you know, schmooze you and they tell you what a great job you're doing and and it could get easy if you're doing a great job and it could get easy to get caught up in that and start to believe your own hype. Um, and so it's good to be grounded and to understand that you you have this privilege and responsibility for a certain period of time. Uh, and then it will be somebody else's, and you will need to be go back to being the person that you were before that. And um, it, it's not easy for folks to do, and I, I've I've seen some uh, get caught up in that. But it's something that I've always sort of seen and been aware of, and have tried uh, to to keep it at arm's distance. <laughs>
1: You know, um, at the last Democratic uh, convention here at Cobo Hall, one of the things that I thought was so cool was there were a lot of young people, a lot of young queer people, but, you know, although they had the caucus, the LGBTQ and allies caucus, these young people were going in on all of these other ones. I mean, it it wasn't like... That they had to express themselves through this one identity. It was like, okay, well, they sort of came through here, but they were over here and they were over there because yeah. they have all of these different issues. As you're going out and you're seeing young people who want to to maybe get into politics, what do you see and what do you tell them about it?
2: Um that's a great point, and it's really exciting to see. Um, there is an energy and an awareness that has happened since the November election um, that really is sort of the silver lining to me as a Democrat who is very disappointed in that election, but mm-hmm. it is the silver lining is that people are energized and activated in a way that they haven't been. I think a lot of us, um, including young people, said maybe I was too complacent. Maybe I took too much mm. of this for granted, and this can be taken away and I'm going to stand up and fight for it. So that's been a, a very positive thing. And to your point, I've probably had more people ask me in the last five months, what can I do? How can I get involved? You know, what's a good way to, to become active than I did in the, in the previous 10 years uh, mm-hmm. as you, as you know very well because you've been involved you know i've been involved in Democratic party politics now for a while, and it 's always been a struggle to get young people to get LGBT people to get to get people outside of the the, the, the usual suspects to come to these meetings and to be engaged and so it 's exciting that they're there and I get, one of the things I tell them is you don't have to get involved in the party per se, but it always starts with think about what you're passionate about. Find your passion. And I can't tell you what your passion is because something has inspired you differently than it inspired me. So I can try to encourage you to find what it is that inspires you uh, and makes you passionate and angry and excited. Um, but I find in life in general that you're, you're never going to be disappointed if you follow your passions, you follow your intuition. And the things that really motivate you, because I think those were placed, you know, on your heart for a reason. And so uh, I try to get them to think about the issues, as you said. So don't don't just think about I'm LGBT, so I'm going to go to that caucus. But think about the issues that really resonate for you, and make you passionate, and then begin to follow those. And then and then there's no shortage of ways once you identify that. There's groups and nonprofits and and political organizations supporting those issues. Uh, um, and so I think it starts
1: with that, if you're going to really be effective. Toy's 87th birthday party. Okay, first yeah. of all, I mean, I mean Jim Toy. I mean, you know, like someone said, you came up and I said, it's Jim Toy. Right. And you know, and one of the things which was, was so remarkable, at one point in time, he sat back and he talked about, you know, we've done this, that, and the other. And then, and he talked about, like, how in 63 he marched with Dr. King and what he did this year and what he did that. But then he came up to, and he was talking about what percentage of the community were people of color and how few were able to attend college and some of the other disparities, like about who had money, who didn't, and all these disparities. And look at that huge perspective. When you, if you were to you know, have have that opportunity, that platform to look back over this 25-year time in yes. Ferndale. What do you see are the really great things that have happened, but what are the things that are still pulling on your heartstrings saying, you know what, i got to roll up my sleeves and work a little harder on this?
2: Um, okay, so the first part of that, what am I proud of? I think that Ferndale is a model for other communities um, in this way, you can be inclusive and diverse and a welcoming community and still be successful. When I was growing up, most of the communities that I knew, they're bubbles. They're you know, they're communities of people that look and act like them that have the same incomes of, as them. It's very stratified. And so I, I I like to believe uh, that folks look to Ferndale and say, look, they got a whole bunch of different kinds of folks there. It's funny, you know, folks looked at it as the LGBT center, you know, kind of hub for a while, but I think we've got more hipsters now Mm -hmm. than than LGBT. So we've attracted those younger folks who are looking for that same thing. So I hope that we uh, are a model for other communities. I get, Calls from mayors and in other communities all the time saying, Hey, how did you guys do this? or What did you guys do when you do that? So, and I don't say that in a bragging way. I think that we've gotten to a point where we are a bit of a model for you can be successful. And that's why the financial part to me is important because I don't want people to think, well, it's a, it's a liberal progressive town and they, they just solve their problems by throwing a bunch of money at it. We don't solve our problems by throwing money at it. And, you know, we cut taxes again this year and I've always tried to be very fiscally responsible to prove to people that it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, you you don't have to buy your way out of these issues, uh, but you have to be intentional about how you approach them. So that's, that's the positive side. Um, One of the things that keeps me up at night, frankly, uh, is um, what I see going on around the country over the last few years started in, or didn't start in Ferguson, but our awareness of it was certainly elevated during the Ferguson issues, but also in Baltimore and Milwaukee. And that is Mm -hmm. this notion that um, just because we elected Barack Obama president doesn't mean that we are a post-racial country. And there are some very Mm -hmm. serious uh, racial divides in this country. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a school system Uh, that has a large percentage of African-Americans in it, a majority African-Americans in our school system as a a result of our neighbors being in the the district and also school choice, Uh, and a growing African-American population here, how do we make sure that we are not, um, I'm sure the mayor of Ferguson didn't see that coming, and I don't Mm want to not see that coming. And so how can we be just as intentional about all the other things that we've done to make sure that we're addressing uh, the racial issues that that may be here that that maybe I'm not even aware of. And so we've we've done um, a number of things over the last year and a half or so uh, to be more intentional about inclusion around race uh, because of those things that I've seen in other cities.
1: The LGBTQ issue, okay, and Mm -hmm. I know that many people think, okay, you know, our gay community has come a a long way, but you know, our trans community, we see a lot of murders and things like that happening. But I mean, I think that one of the things that's good is I know many trans people who not only go to affirmations for trans support, but who live in the area who ride their bikes up and down. And that part, you, you've put that out there that Ferndale is a place where, you know, it's safe. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, that's something that, that I, that I think of. I mean, I doesn't mean that I'm going to go bald. Oh, oh, I'm here. You know, I'm mindful of where I am, but when I am in Ferndale, there's a thing that I feel safe because I feel it's a caring community. Mm -hmm. And thank Um,
2: thank you. And again, it's, it has been intentional. I, I make it a point every year to go to the trans picnic uh, that's held here in Ferndale and to speak at it so that they can meet me and hear from me and hear from my own mouth how glad I am that they're here and, and, and how much we value their participation in our community. So I, I make it a point to do that. This year I was really proud for the first time on the Trans Day of Visibility. We flew the trans flag from the flagpole at City Hall. Again, Mm -hmm. it's symbolic, but I hope it sends a message to people that this is a place, not just to the trans community, but to to the allied community and to everyone else that says, this is a place where we're not going to tolerate discrimination uh, or inequality against our trans um, friends. And so uh, you have to, leadership is about setting that tone from the top, and we've we've tried to do that. I I certainly tried to do that. Um, I, I think it's important.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I will tell you a little thing. I was in Ferndale um, once, and um, there was a woman who was walking down the street. And actually, at that point, I was was sitting in Affirmations. And the woman Mm -hmm. came in, and she was talking about, first of all, that the center was there, but she was here for a conference. And she was spending time, I guess, staying with some friends in Ferndale, and she was saying, like, everywhere she had gone, she had felt, Good. You know, she had seen things that showed it was a welcoming community and she said, I'm gonna go back and tell where she was from about the city. How cool is that that you know, she was just sort of walking down the street and had picked that up it picked that up not from coming into affirmations, but from walking down the street, seeing the different uh businesses that indicated that they were welcoming, inclusive, and, you know, and it was like, and then she's like, and you've got a center you know, and it was like, how cool is that, you know, that that's the message. Yeah. And, well, thank you. And, and, you know, I don't want to be
2: all Pollyanna or say that there's never any issues. I got a, I got a mm-hmm. call, I don't know, six months ago or so from a trans woman who was very upset because she said that she was in one of the, the restaurants in Ferndale and an employee there wouldn't let her use the woman's room. Mm. Um, and she was horrified, and she was with her group of her friends, and 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 she she told me the whole story and how horrified she was. And someone said, "Well, you ought to call the mayor because he's supportive and he'll help." And 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 I was horrified. Um, but the good the good news was, I, I called the business owner directly myself. And the good news is. He was equally as horrified because that's not yeah. the message that business owners want to send to people so it's not mm-hmm. it's not that we still live in in the real world and prejudices and problems still exist but But I think she and her friends appreciated uh that uh, not only did I react quickly to that but that the business owner did and called her personally uh, to apologize and how bad he felt and to try to make it right to her and so uh you know we're, we're not perfect and things will happen, but, uh, Mm -hmm. but, um, but overall you have to send that message and that's part of my responsibility, I feel.
1: Well, you know, it's sort of, like I said, you know, um, you don't not be aware. There's a way that you feel and also to know that, okay, this happened. I didn't like it. Okay. There's people that I can call and who also believe this and that if we don't raise our collective voices against, injustices then you know we're complicit in it also but you know but to know that here's some place okay she could raise her voice and there's this collective voice that would sort of go and say and even if he hadn't done something he knew that somebody other than a trans person an ally had said you know that ain't right what you did was you know what's happening in your place and that helps us all be a little better.
2: Well said. I mean, I felt proud that that her friends didn't say, you know, girl, better keep your mouth shut. You know, keep your head down. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 you know, that they that they knew to say, call the mayor. He's a friend. He's an ally. He'll help. Uh, I, I, I'm glad that that message got out. That she didn't feel like she had to just um, tolerate that without any recourse because. It is about our collective ability to help each other and to bring all people up together. I can't get any higher uh, than I am with my friends on either side of me. We have to, we're in this together, and we have to help each other collectively. You, you said it better than I. Mm-hmm.
1: So we're going to take another short break in our conversation, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest,
0: Mayor Dave Coulter. We'll be right back.
1: often I think about where I came from, you know, like going to Catholic school and some of the things that did impress me, you know. There's some things I just, you know, you know, some things open my mind to sort of say, well, that ain't right. You know, you taught me too well because I know that it's contradictory. But sometimes I think about how coming from the east side, coming from that background, all of these things sort of make you who you are. And when you think about you – Dave Coulter. Mm-hmm. I like, how do you feel that these, all these intersections that have influenced your life have impacted the directions you've taken in your work, in your life? And how are you feeling it's going to impact what you do in the future?
2: Wow. Um, that's a big question because there's still, as, as I think you sort of alluded to, there's still this little boy inside me that's that East Side Catholic. Kid mm-hmm. uh, growing up in a in a neighborhood that was uh, very safe and 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 um, supportive, and I feel very blessed in a lot of ways by the upbringing I've I've had. And yet, as you get older, you understand where the shortcomings were and and what needed to change and that sort of stuff. But there, uh in a lot of ways, I, I still am that Eastside Catholic kid, um, and. My I guess my my background and my upbringing and and, and just the family that I was raised in uh, taught me that you need to um, play by the rules. We haven't gotten into this, but I was really big into sports when I was younger, and I still love oh. sports. And I think I think mm-hmm. there's a real analogy to politics Uh mm-hmm. it's competitive. There's you know you, you, if you but you got to play by the rules. Uh, you battle this game, but there's always going to be another game, so you don't treat people, and I see this in politics now, you don't treat your opponents as your enemies. They're just your opponents, and you may need them again in another fight. This is what I mean about being a little bit more politically mature about these things. Um, But I grew up with a sense, uh, a, a, a pretty clear sense of, Right and wrong, and and if that if you play by the rules and the rules are fair, so I fight for fair rules. But if you play mm-hmm. by the rules and you do the right thing, then this is still this need. Then this should be a country where you can be successful, um, and that's still the vision. We're not there as a country yet, but that still sort of guides me. That sense of fairness uh, and fair play, um, and that everyone is entitled to that, and and nobody should have a, a bigger stake in it than me. Nobody gets it more than you know. It's more um, fairness than me that, that we're all in this together and that if we can uh, join our collective voices, as, as you so eloquently said, uh, then this can be a country and a state and a city uh, where everyone can succeed.
1: So what, what's next for Ferndale and what are you seeing? If we, if we, if we come back and look at Ferndale in a couple of years, what do you want to implement in there? What would you like to see? Yeah, um, I guess a couple of things, something you can see with your eyes and
2: then hopefully something that you can sort of feel. But with your eyes, you're going to see because the economy is doing well and Ferndale is so popular, uh, we have a lot of folks that want to do projects here, um, apartment buildings and, and development projects. Uh, which is both exciting and a, and a challenge because we want to make sure that we maintain the feel of our of our little community here. Uh, okay. We're not try, We don't want. We don't want to try to be a different kind of city. We just want to be Ferndale. So, so you'll see growth happening here. You'll see new buildings here. But hopefully, what you'll see is that we've done it in a way. That maintained the unique spirit of Ferndale. So that that I hope is what you see with your eyes. Uh, one of the things that we're working really hard on that you'd have to sort of feel by spending a little bit more time here is that we've made a, a very dramatic shift uh, in the way that we're um, operating our police department. And this gets to what I talked about before about making sure that we're um, that you know that we don't have. Ferguson-type issues here, and that is we really, our police department has has taken on the the president's uh, 21st century recommendations on community policing. Uh, uh, The the days when the the police officers used to live in your community and you knew who they were and you saw them at the Mm -hmm. store and you went to school with them are over. Uh, Those days are past, and there's the potential to have this divide between the police and its citizens. Uh, And it's unhealthy. And I'm not saying it was happening here. I'm saying it's just sort of a natural progression of of how policing has gone in this country. But we're very deliberately um, trying to reverse that and giving our police officers the time and the ability to be in the community, to go to events, to meet people, to build relationships with people, uh, and to get to know folks and to break down those barriers between us versus them. And so it's already starting um, to, to change, I think, the way people perceive policing in this community. And in five years, um, I hope we're a lot closer to how it was when you and I were growing up uh, mm-hmm. than, it is, than it has been recently.
1: For years I lived in what's now Midtown, but when I lived there it was Cass Quarter. And I okay. worked with the Cass Quarter Neighborhood Development Corporation. And one of the things that we tried to do was to maintain affordable housing. Like you said, you see all these things coming what what are you and sometimes I've driven through there and the very things that made it such an interesting, cool yes. area are gone now. And you know, yes. some people say, "Well, oh look, but you've got all these new businesses and all that." But where are the people? How 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 do you see trying to balance that to make to keep Ferndale affordable and a place where not just hipsters but families want to be? Yes.
2: Yes. That is the great challenge, and one okay. of the things that we're going to take up as a council uh, this year is an affordable housing policy. How do we make sure that the new housing that's being developed in Ferndale um, helps us maintain our sort of economic equality that we have here, and that we don't push out the folks that helped make Ferndale what it is today? Uh, there's no there's no simple answer to that, except mm-hmm. um, that I think. We engage the community in these decisions, make sure that we're growing and building in a way that the community embraces and understands, and put some of these policy um, prescriptions in place like affordable housing and others um, and other policies uh, and, and you do your best and, and you hope you hope that um, you hope that that's the case the other you know one of the other areas that we are always struggling with in terms of the changing nature of the cities is with retail you know um, Retail is having a harder and harder time surviving in brick-and-mortar businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also important to the character of a downtown that you can shop and not just eat and drink, but that you can shop and browse and that sort of stuff. So we're working really hard to try to attract retail and those sort of things. And then working on the neighborhoods, making sure that the neighborhoods are as as strong and and clean and and healthy as they can be to attract families and others. Um, So there's no single answer, but you – you just try to do the best you can, and so far we've we've been fairly successful.
1: Uh, I remember reading they were saying like, but you're you're there, and you're not alone now. You've got um, the mayor of Southfield, uh-huh. who's, who's LGBT. You've got Jeremy Allen uh, Moss, who's up in yep. Lansing, openly uh, John Holy. So it's like you have this group. It's like we are more and more stepping into places where not, you know, not just in in our LGBT box, but where we're talking about the quality of everyone's life. And I know that we got marriage equality and a lot of people now like, Oh, we're going to go backwards. But you know, it was such a great opportunity when you, the more you attain equality, the more you can fight for equality. And, um, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing in Ferndale and for your visibility. You know, well, it's like.
2: a <laughs> well. You're very welcome. Um, it, it's a it's a pleasure to do this job. Um, it really is, and it's a privilege that I that I never forget that people have given me this opportunity. Uh, to be in this leadership position, and I try to always remember them and the people that I represent, including the LGBT people, um, and make sure that as we move into these roles, um, that we're bringing people up behind us as well and mentoring people behind us and and making sure that the the road that somebody opened up for me is even wider for the people behind us. And so uh, that's part of the responsibility of being in these jobs. But uh, Michelle, you've been far too kind uh, to me, and I really appreciate the opportunity talking to you.
1: I like you a little bit. You're cool. You know, you're (laughs) cool. The feeling is mutual. You know, (laughs) know? but um, Dave, again, I want to thank you for being my guest. And, you know, that's part of the thing that it is. It's like you don't – or maybe you do have a red F underneath that. I don't know. But you know what? But we're not super people. We're just people who are doing the best we can, living our truth, and trying to make it better for our neighbor. So that's all we can do. But if we all do it, it's going to be better for everyone. So, again, I want to thank you for being with me. And um, I know I'll see you soon. I'll see you in Ferndale Pride.
2: My pleasure, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having
1: me. We finished another great episode. You know, none of us are superheroes. We're just people who are living our truth and doing the best we can. And if we all do, you know, we're all going to rise up. Um, I want to thank again my guest today, Mayor Dave Coulter of Ferndale, and encourage you to subscribe to Collections by Michelle Brown on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitchers, or SoundCloud. We will be back next week with another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown.